Here we are in week 43 of the 50 States, 50 Weeks, and 50 Coffee Shop series. I'm talking with Patrick and Crystal Burns from Palace Coffee Company in Texas today. Patrick and Crystal have a really sweet story because they met in high school and got married shortly after that. Since then, they have opened a coffee shop, raised two children, and have started to help other coffee shop owners on their journey. Both of them view coffee shops as a way to touch many lives and impact their community. They share a lot of knowledge about how to run a business together as a couple, as well as co-owners. I also was able to visit their shop when I passed through Texas, and their baristas are very well trained and really friendly, so I highly recommend stopping in one of their shops if you're passing through the area. So with that, grab your coffee or tea, and let's dive right in. I am Crystal Burns. And I'm Patrick Burns. And we together own Palace Coffee Company in Amarillo in Canyon, Texas. Wonderful. How exciting. And for those who don't know Amarillo, there's also Cadillac Ranch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The big Texan. Yeah, we're famous for to fame. some roadside attractions, which is fun. Most of the time when you ask anybody if they've been to Amarillo, they say, yeah, I've driven through. Yeah. <laughs> That's about. Yeah, but people do stop over. We got a lot of things to do. One of the most compressive things we have in our area for people to come through is we have Powder Canyon, which is the second biggest canyon in the nation behind uh, the Grand Canyon. So it's not as deep, but it's actually a longer canyon network. And so there's a bunch of great trails. We get a lot of tourists that come in and camp. And the community of Canyon is right outside of the uh, right outside of Paladero. So that's where we opened up our first shop. And so we've definitely had a lot of tourists year round, which we've been able to make uh, relationships with, which has been great. People that are traveling in the States and people from Europe and all over the world. Oh my goodness. That's surprising to me, actually. Yeah, it, it's a big hole in the ground. So people miss it because it's all flat here. <laughs> and so you drive up to it and then it just drops off. And it's but, definitely a destination. Like you have to choose. I'm going to drive. Like you're not just going to randomly drive past it. It's, yeah. You have to go to it. Yeah. And it's great, though. There's a, a musical that's been running out there called Texas the Musical. It's an outdoor musical. And I've actually been a part of it for four years. This past year, my son came back from college and was a part of it with me, which was great. So, yeah. So it's a it's a great area. For a lot of different things that people probably wouldn't think about us for. Totally. Yeah. I kind of wish I contacted you before I passed through because <laughs> next time, next time. Yeah. Next time, next time. <laughs> I did visit one of your shops and it was a very wonderful experience. And I highly suggest for anyone passing through to definitely stop off at one of your locations. You have four locations, right? We do. We have four. So we started our first one 11 years ago in Canyon, Texas. That's kind of our flagship location. And then we have one in downtown Amarillo, one in Southwest Amarillo. We call that one our summit location. And then we have our newest venture, which is at our Wolfland location. And it has a 6,500 square foot space that houses our roastery warehouse, of course, a cafe space with an indoor outdoor patio. And then we have a sister company called Royal Bar that is also in that space as well. It's our craft cocktail bar. Y'all have been busy. We have. And then we also have a consulting arm for Palace. So we actually help people open up coffee shops. We've helped probably, uh, I want to say four or five shops open up from the ground up. And then we also will go out and do training with other shops. And so we travel a little bit and, and we just like seeing people get into the same passion that we have, which is people. You know, we, we open up coffee shops because we really enjoy, you know, hosting people. And so when we can find other people that want to do the same thing for their community, we want to help support them the best we can. We also enjoy just talking to other entrepreneurs and helping them 
kind of sort through their vision and determine if it's a viable, you know, business. We have talked people out of opening coffee shops, <laughs> which is like good and bad, right? Because it's like, oh, we don't want to crush your dreams, but also like, let's ask all these hard questions now so you can, you know, kind of navigate through that before you get into something and get in over your head. So that's never like a fun conversation to have that we feel like it's necessary and that that is a way, another way that we can kind of help entrepreneurs. And sometimes it's not a matter of maybe it won't ever work, but maybe now is not the time. And here's the things that we would suggest to get ready, you know, get yourself ready so that you could be successful in the future. Mm, What are some of the warning signs you would say of someone who needs to either hold off on that dream or to walk away and pick up a different one? Uh, The first thing we do is try to figure out their motive for wanting to to get into the industry. Um, If they say they want to make a lot of money, we're like, well, (laughs) Well, we definitely understand volume shops and drive through shops and, and we help people that have done that as well. And so, you know, there's, there's ways to, to make quite a bit of money when yeah. you focus on volume and, but then there's also the craft mindedness of coffee. So if you want to get into the craft of coffee and want a slow pace bar, but you still want to make a bunch of money, then sometimes those don't necessarily marry up. So we just try to dig into why they want to do it. And if they see fulfillment and, and what's going to make them feel fulfilled, because ultimately we got to wake up every day and get into the business of what we do. And if it doesn't drive you and excite you and, and light some level of passion, then it can get mundane. And mm-hmm. then it just turns into the number game if you're able to stick around or not. And if you have a passion for it, even if the numbers aren't matching up yet, if you understand how to get to a goal, but the passion is still there and you're still feeling like you're making an impact, whether it's with your staff or with your guests or your community, then that will keep you going until you get the ship righted. That's a good point. Having the combination of passion as well as the impact with a goal that you're working towards. Mm-hmm. Right. And then also even like stage of life and where you're at in your, you know, we've, we've had some people that, you know, they're sitting across from us and they're pregnant and it's like, well, that, the, you know, owning a business is a big commitment and it takes a lot of time and energy and as does having a new baby. And we talk a lot about work-life balance and making sure that, you know, we're, while we are passionate about what we're doing, there's also that balance that, you know, our family is important as well. And so we try really hard to do things outside of Palace. You know, our kids were, gosh, six and nine when we began Palace. And so they were a little bit older, but we still made sure that we took time and we never wanted them to feel like this business was something that was more important than our our family unit or more important than them, because you can easily get like bogged down in the weight of owning a business and kind of neglect some other things. So sometimes we'll have those conversations and just ask them those questions. Like, how do you guys intend to have work-life balance? Are you both going to be, you know, working at the shop full-time or, you know, we just have a lot of, a lot of it is conversational and obviously conditional on what the answers are in those questions that we start asking. I like that you're willing to ask the hard questions up front too. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen it work the the wrong way around too, where people just jumped into it and we have to come in, you know, after the fact and try to help them kind of dig themselves out. And that's a lot more difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we had this dream back when we were in our early to mid twenties and we didn't open up house until we were 31, 30, 31, right around there. And so it took us six or seven years to get ourselves in a place where we could open up our first shop, paying off debt and just getting our our life, you know, to a point where we could put everything into that basket. Just because you push pause doesn't mean it completely goes away. Right. You can go get other experiences in life that might help add to your dream and then make it even better. 
I like that perspective. This is something I was curious about. How does it work with both of you running the business together? We're both snickering a little bit. It's funny that you asked that. Yeah. Patrick and I have a unique relationship in that we are high school sweethearts, which we know is like a cliche thing, but we literally started dating our senior year of high school and got married two years out of high school. So we started our our lives together very young. And I think, you know, initially, whenever we opened Palace, I was kind of doing the back end side of things. And Patrick was more, you know, day-to-day producing actually at the shop, 60, 70, 80 hours a week at, at the beginning. Yeah, the um, manager. Doing all of the things. Everything. And it wasn't until about four years into Palace, four years or six years? Four about years? four. Yeah. Five. That I actually came on full-time and started working as, you know, at, that as my main job. I had always held a full-time job just in case something happened and we didn't get a paycheck or something. I, I, you know, we kind of learned how to live off of my, my income and we only took from the business what we needed to make ends meet. And then when, as we started growing, Patrick felt the need, we, we have a dynamic relationship. It's really great. I like to call him the dreamer and me, the dream crusher, because (laughs) he's very visionary and I'm very structured and like, so he'll come to us with something and and I might say, well, we can make that happen. This is what it's going to take to happen. And and I can help kind of carry out that vision or help kind of structure around it to, to make it work. And then there's other things that I'm like, Ooh, that might be more difficult and we have to talk about it. But so when I first came on full-time with Palace, it was whenever we were going from two shops to three shops and we were just needing a little bit more structure, which is my specialty. That's what I've, I've my background is in administrative work and different things like that. And so I came in and was, you know, I'm going to structure things. I'm going to change some things to make things work a little bit better. Now that we're going from two to three, kind of going through these growing pains. And at first it was very difficult because this was Patrick's passion project. It was his baby and it was his, you know, he had, you know, kind of been in there in the day-to-day grind for the last four years. And I'm just coming in going, okay, we're going to change this and we're going to change that. Not necessarily saying that it was broken, but just saying like, this is how we can make it better. But to him, it was like, I was telling him his baby was ugly, you know, what, what are you doing? And so we had to work a lot on our communication through those. I would say the first six months were pretty rough. And just learning how to communicate with one another, learning what pushes one another's buttons, and then just being really respectful of those things. And now we're really fortunate that we have an amazing team around us. And so our management team is very, we don't, we, Patrick and I never make any decisions about the company without our management team. So it's never us being like, we're the owners, we're going to do this. We always, we have a manager meeting every single week and we talk about different things and we make those decisions together. So we can both present our perspectives, even if they're differing perspectives. And then our management team kind of takes those and gives their perspective. And then we all kind of together make decisions that we feel like are going to be the best point to move forward for the company. So it's been tricky and there are good days and hard days, but we've really, I think we really balance one another out. So when, you know, when, when Patrick is worried about something, I can come in and be encouraging and then vice versa. When I'm stressed out about something or worried about something, he can come in and try to help take weight off. So it really works pretty beautifully. Not that it's like, you know, all rainbows and butterflies, but it is, (laughs) I feel like we have a great working relationship and a very unique relationship just because I feel like we, we know each other so well and we've been together for so long that Mm -hmm. kind of know how to, how to manage that. Yeah. We've raised two whole humans into adulthood. That's a pretty good, you know, track record. We can do that together. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> so that, and, and it's also unique too, whenever we do help with consulting and other entrepreneurs, we have two unique perspectives on how to run the company coming together to kind of pour into one person, or if they're a couple, or if they're business partners, typically you can see most companies that run have the same kind of dynamic that we do. And so we can speak the same language as someone else across from us to, to encourage them and, and ask the right questions. Every dreamer needs some structure. I Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, or else we just it really is. space and there gets real thin up here. And sometimes I have to remember like, oh yeah, this isn't just like a checklist. We also have to look around the room and notice that there are people there that we need to like say hello to. And you know what I mean? <laughs> and get in those like modes of working where I'm just like plowing through my list and not paying attention as much. And so Patrick really has helped me, you know, kind of lean into that a little bit more and, and notice things around me. So that's really beautiful. You pull out the highlights of each other. That's yeah. great. And I'm sure that took a lot to learn, but it's wonderful when it works. <laughs> yeah. a, lot, a lot of communication, a lot of just life lessons that you yeah. go on through this whole process, but you know, it's, it's great. We wouldn't have it any other way. Right. How special. I would really like to hear how you got into coffee in the first place. What drew you into this industry? And you mentioned wanting to support other entrepreneurs who want to get started with a shop. Where does that drive come from? Yeah. So I've always been really enamored with the study of people. I, I think, you know, that's people are the best resource the world has to offer. And even whenever I was I was younger, I, I fit in with a lot of different groups of people, but I never really had just one group. But I was always looking for the person that felt like they were on the outside and trying to help make room for them to be on the inside. And, you know, even whenever I was in high school, I was a social student. I wasn't necessarily a studious student. And so that kind of has always been in my DNA. And then in the experiences I've had in life, I used to run a retail clothing store in the mall for years. And then I went and managed a nice five-star restaurant here years ago. And it was family owned. And so that was my first look into what it was like to work with people that own their own business. And that gave me my own desire to want to open up my own business someday. At the time we had our, our, our youngest wasn't born yet, but Crystal was, was pregnant with him. Our oldest was, I think, three at the time or two or three. And so the restaurant life was just tough. I was, I was, you know, running a restaurant. I had late nights. I wouldn't get home till like one most nights. And so it just didn't fulfill me. I wasn't able to be the best husband and the best dad I wanted to be. So I let that job go, even though I really enjoyed it um, and, and got into some other things, but I never lost the desire to open up my own business. And so we started having conversations about what we thought that could look like if it was going to be a restaurant, what kind of restaurant it would be. And I didn't want to get back into that world, but I still loved hosting people. And that was my favorite thing to do at the restaurant was going out and talking to tables and, and just finding out who they were and why they chose us. This was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so the coffee culture here in, in the Midwest, you know, primarily in, in small town America hadn't taken off. We were starting to see you know, definitely had Starbucks and, and our own local versions of those kind of coffee shops, but we weren't seeing the craft coffee movement yet. I enjoyed coffee shop cultures because at a restaurant, I had regulars and they'd come in maybe once or twice a week. But at a coffee shop, you have regulars that come in once or twice a day. So if you really enjoy people and studying people and engaging with people and making sure they didn't feel left out, the coffee shop just seems like a natural progression for me of creating a space for people to belong. And so that kind of became the, the impetus behind one to open up a coffee shop. And it's also probably a lower barrier to opening a coffee shop as far as the cost goes to, to getting in. Restaurants, you definitely have to build out, you know, kitchens and 
and a lot of uh, back end and coffee shops, it's not as difficult. And that also means that this explains why there's a lot of coffee shops that fail because it's not hard to get into, but it's hard to, to be successful at. So that's kind of where it started. And then we just kind of, you know, kicked the can down the road until we got in a place. And I had some experience, you know, in the industry to where I felt comfortable enough to then we can start actually making the plan come to fruition, which is where she comes into play with the organization and structure. So yeah, so we finally decided back in 2009, 2010, after going to a specialty coffee associations event in Anaheim that year, I think that was in 2010, we went to that. No, 2009, it was a Michael Phillips one. And he won the World Barista Championship that same year. Oh, yeah. Uh, and now that, that was our first view of the coffee industry at large beyond just our small little community. And we got to go and see the coffee competitions and that kind of blew us away, which she can probably speak more to that because she didn't leave that area yeah, I was so intrigued because whenever I heard that there were coffee competitions, the only thing in 2010 in Amarillo, Texas, the only kind of coffee that there really was, was fast paced, like get them out the door coffee. And so when they were saying competitions, I was like, does that mean like seeing how fast they can make the coffee? Like what are the competitions? Like I had no idea. So whenever I went and watched the presentation and saw how prestigious it was, and it's this barista that's talking about the farm that they got their coffee from and what notes they're pulling out of it and how they roasted it and how they made it. And then they're like, you know, have this beautiful presentation of the coffee to these judges that are like, you know, sitting there and judging the coffee and, and a milk beverage and a signature beverage. It was so intriguing to me. I literally was like, I'm not leaving. I, I just want to sit and watch this all day. And it was so cool. And then that was whenever we kind of realized that's the kind of coffee you know, we would like to offer, we, we would like it to be prestigious and craft, but not in a pretentious way. We wanted to still be able to bring in that Southern, you know, charm and that Southern hospitality. And we thought, I think that we could pull off doing both, like having really great coffee, but also having a really kind staff. And so that kind of became our vision and our business plan of how we would, you know, somehow set ourselves apart in this area. Having a prestigious craft, but not in a pretentious way exactly so well said that is part of the challenge with creating a slower coffee wave and just that experience of more specialty coffee is that there are customers who don't really know much about coffee or don't necessarily need to or want to right. and so there is this weird balancing act that happens of trying to educate but also cater to what they actually want and exactly both exactly. are good yeah. yeah the way that we kind of do it is in training uh, there's very few things that i'm still hands-on when it comes to training but hospitality is the the first unit that we go over with our new team and i still oversee that part of it and but there's a YouTube video from James Hoffman back in, I want to say it was in 2007, 2008, from the Nordic Barista Cup, if it's still out there. And he talks about how to have a sustainable career in, in the coffee industry. And he talks about how there's all these different areas that you can be involved in, not just being a barista. And not everyone should be a barista because not everyone has the personality to be a customer facing you know, person. And at the very end, he had a Q&A and someone stood up and said, hey, you know, I really appreciate your presentation. You talked about how not everyone should be a barista, but there's a lot of the other opportunities to get into the industry. But almost everybody gets into the coffee industry by being a barista first. And so how do you square those two things? And, and James said, that's a good question. How we do it is we train people at Square Mile, his coffee you know, company, 
is that you ask yourself three questions and those three questions, does that person seem like they are in a good mood or bad mood? So when they're walking up, you're judging how they are. The second thing you're, you're looking at when you actually engage them, do they seem like a talkative person or not talkative? So then you adjust how you're going to interact with them based on what you feel like they need as a person. And the third thing is, do they seem interested or not interested? And so we've got a, a great staff that, that's interested in copying uh, at different levels because some of them it's longer that are interested in, you know, deeper levels of copy. Some are brand new. They're just getting geeked out on pouring a heart, you know, for latte art. And so it's those different levels. And so how we train is that all we can do is we can just share a tidbit of knowledge, which I call breadcrumbing. You just drop a little bit of knowledge out there and see if they pick it up and ask a question about it. And if they ask a question, then you get to have a conversation around that. And if they don't, then you just leave that breadcrumb there you know, and then pick it up when that person leaves and throw it away. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. So it's all about reading people and engaging people with what they want to be engaged with. That's how you don't become a pretentious copy person. Because a lot of times with pretentious people, they're just excited. They found out the information. They just want to share it with everybody. But that's like turning a, a, you know, a fire hose on at full blast and knocking somebody down if they're not braced for it, if they're not ready for it. And so that's kind of how we've always gone about educating is, Educating at the level that that guest wants to be educated at. And around here, 80, 85% of the time, they don't really care. They just want a cup of coffee. They want their latte. They want their, you know, sweetener in it. And we're great with that. And we'll serve it and we'll be happy with it. But whenever you see those people start to then engage and ask questions because they've been with us over time and they start to see us do things or how often we dial an espresso and they start asking questions, that's where the excitement builds for our staff. And that's what they, you know, love to do. With the coffee culture in Texas, one of the things I was noticing with even the friends that I've made is that there's a lot of sweetener and iced coffee is pretty popular. Mm -hmm. Have you found that to be true in your area as well? No, absolutely. You know, and again, like I said, that's something we don't look down upon, but it is something that's a challenge for us that if we have guests that come in on a regular basis that like the sweeter drinks with, you know, a little bit of coffee flavor, well, the more they're here and the more our baristas get to engage with them and, and create relationships, then our baristas get to kind of challenge them to try different drinks. And our goal is always to try something that's a little bit more coffee forward than a drink that they had before. Because over time, over three months, six months, a year, we might have had someone coming in, you know, wanting a mocha, you know, or something else that's a little bit sweeter. And then maybe we can get them to do a half sweet mocha. So the chocolate's still there and there's still some sugar sweetness to it, but maybe the milk sweetness starts to come through a little bit more. And so it's just kind of stair-stepping them into something different. And then once they get something they don't like, then it's no problem to step back to where they were and it's no worse for wear. And we also have the policy at our company is that if you suggest a drink to a guest and the guest doesn't like it, then we'll make them something else on the house. So that way there's that there's no pressure with the guest trying something new. It gives them that opportunity to to expand their palate, you know, without being on the hook. Because we've all, you know, ordered food at a restaurant that we're like, man, this looks interesting. I want to try it. But then we hate it. But then you just have to sit there and endure it, you know, because you ordered it and got to pay for it. We don't want that to be the case. We want everyone to be able to walk out with a good, you know, good taste in our mouth, literally and figuratively. The good taste in your mouth, both with the experience, I'm sure, of the environment and, like you said, figuratively and literally <laughs> the taste oh. of the coffee. <laughs> Do you have coffee shops in Texas that you recommend? Oh, so, so many. <laughs> it, it all depends. I mean, obviously, we can talk about, you know, the ones that we're in a relationship with that are either wholesale partners or people we consulted with. We've got some great friends in Wichita Falls called Collective Coffee. 
and we private label for them and and uh you know we hang out with them quite a bit your shop is so cool like it's a it's a great little stop in wichita falls and it's it's similar to us because wichita falls is about the same size maybe a little bit smaller than Amarillo. and so people don't expect craft coffee culture in, in communities our size and so it's good to kind of link arms with people like that there's ironworks out of weather for texas they've been a consulting client of ours and they've already opened up two shops and they're about to open up a third within the next year so they're doing great one of my favorites is in Flower Mound, um, Edison Coffee. They're good friends of ours. They actually just recently had a, a fire in their space and in our mm-hmm. down, but you can order their coffee online to help support them, which is awesome. But they're very similar in heart to us. We met them years ago at, at a coffee event. And anytime I'm in the area, our son actually goes to school, goes to college at TCU. And so anytime we're in that area, we try to go see them and there's some great shops in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. There's some great shops in Austin. Yeah, Austin. I mean, Fleet Copies is one of my favorite stops down there. It's a tiny little 300-square-foot space. A guy named Patrick owns it and is doing a great job. And I think they're looking at a second location. And then we have another friend, Michael Backliff, who is actually from Amarillo and opened up a coffee shop in Austin after he graduated from UT. And it's a Cafe Medici. And they have four or five locations around Austin, and they're doing great. So there's a lot of great shops around. I mean, a lot of those shops too, like Houndstooth is in Dallas and Austin and San Antonio. No, 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 they're not San Antonio. Okay. Loyal's in San Antonio, which is a great shop. And then Loyal also has Merit. So, I mean, we could spend an hour talking about different (laughs) shops in Texas. We literally have friends that text us and they're like, we're going here. Where should we go for coffee? (laughs) And not just in Texas, but all over because we've been able to network with so many great people and we've been able to travel a little bit with the coffee industry. We, we really do kind of know some, some places, sometimes we recommend places that I'm like, I haven't actually ever been here, but I've heard it's amazing. And like, I've met them, you know, once at a coffee event or whatever. So, but yeah, we have, we have lots of recommendations. And that's how we stay connected is we still go yeah. to those coffee events every year and we, we go to coffee fest as well. We actually won America's Best coffee house competition at coffee fest over a three year period against some really great shops. Really so, cool. I'm yeah, so, yeah, so we we put ourselves out there with competition kind of being something that was special to us from day one. It only took us about a year to a year and a half after we opened up our first little location before we decided to put ourselves out there to see how we stacked up. And within two years of competitions, we were at the U.S. competition level. We'd done well enough to, to do that, which was great. I competed in Barista for a few years. I had some other staff members that were in Barista and Brewer's Cup. So yeah, so it's been really cool. And so we, we we keep relationships in the industry through those competitions. Crystal score kept because she is the structure person. She was the person that was stuck in the room. They were like, nobody wants to score keep because you're just in a room by yourself with a spreadsheet. And I was like, that sounds amazing. I'm in. <laughs> like, let me do it, please. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's great. <laughs> And then I got to start seeing those same events. Which yeah. And meanwhile, Patrick's on the stage with the microphone. I'm like, no, no, no. I'll be in the room with the spreadsheet. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> kind of our life together. It's funny. Yeah. Exemplified in, in a coffee competition. Yep. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, thank you for recommending some of those shops. I've uh-huh. definitely heard of a few of them and haven't been able to visit all of them, but I'll it definitely. Would, it, would, it would be a very long coffee crawl to go through. <laughs> a lot of driving <laughs> Texas is big. Texas is big. And I heard (laughs) Austin, Texas is similar to Portland, Oregon in that it's more of the... It is the the bluest part of of a red state. (laughs) There you go. um, It's the best one. We're we're in the reddest part of a red state up in the Panhandle. 
And that's the exact opposite of what Austin is. So we like to go visit that there a little often just to get a different breath of fresh air down there. And so Austin's great, you know, Portland and Austin, I think they are sister cities. I think they, they call each other sister cities, which is great. I think Austin just had a little bit more tech bros in it now than Portland does because they're definitely expanding like crazy with people going in there. So I could see that. Definitely. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else you want to touch on before we start to wrap up? I really just think that our, our industry is really unique. There's a lot of different facets to it. And it's really hard to, to dive into, you know, all the different areas of impact that you can have. But I will, you know, say one thing that, that I think I'm most proud of with, with our company right now, what we're really trying to do is we're really trying to do a, a, an effort into pouring into our staff because they exert so much emotional labor. I mean, the physical labor of making coffee is one thing. But connecting with guests, you know, coming out of pandemic and during pandemic and even pre-pandemic, connecting with people is something that takes a lot of energy. And we, primarily me, I've just now come to the understanding that everyone needs to recover that energy differently. And I'm someone that gets a lot of energy from being around people. So I don't get exhausted by, you know, giving out of myself. And other people do. And that's a tough thing in our industry. So learning how to to self-care and and take care of yourself is important. And so we've started doing a a mental health uh, check with our staff to where if they have any, you know, things going on in their lives that they need help. We've actually partnered up with a local nonprofit that provides counseling and they have counseling rates for our staff that we pay for the first three visits of. And then they work on getting grants for any other counseling needs that they might have because our staff deserves it. And, And for me, we can't carry out the vision of being kind and and serving great coffee to our community if we don't have a great team and we don't have a great team if we don't, you know, care about them and pour into them. And so if there's any owners out there, you know, listen to this podcast, I'd really like to, to really, you know, have them not look at the numbers as much and look at their people and just check in with them and see how they're doing and try to find unique ways to support them. For us, mental health is is a big part of it. But even more than that, it's just checking in with them and just being in your shops and saying hi to them and remembering what they have going on in their lives. It goes a long way. And then if you can do that, they definitely have no problem carrying out your heart because they know that your heart's for them as well. It's not just for the guests. It's not just for the bottom line and money. It really is to create a community for people. Yeah. And then what happens is you end up having like people after pandemic, we're like, are you guys having a hard time hiring people? And we're like, no, because what happens with us is we have people that experience something and they feel something when they come into our shops. And then those same people will then come and apply with us because they have been on the other side of the bar. And they're like, we want to do that for other people. Like we want to be able to impact people and it'd be really fun to make coffee. So we end up getting, we end up hiring a lot of our customers, ironically enough, but they turn out to be amazing baristas because, you know, they, they already know how they already know our our style of service because they've experienced it. Ooh, that's wonderful. That's kind of what you live for as a business. Exactly. Helping more people allows a business to grow. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately that's our passion to just kind of, you know, circle back. I got into coffee because I have a passion for people. And so we serve coffee as our product and we're really good at it because we serve coffee to people and we're going to serve them the best product we possibly can. So it's always people first for us with coffee being a close second, but ultimately that's what it comes down to is, is caring about people, providing a place for people and then serving a great product to them. 
I just want to say thank you so much for taking time. I know you're busy people. Thank you for just sharing your heart, your passion, and your knowledge. Yeah, Yeah, thank you for having us so much. If you ever want a part two, three, or four, we definitely probably have uh, other thoughts to share on other (laughs) subjects as well. Awesome. Let us know if we can help in the future. We, We would love to. And thanks for shining a light on the industry.